Our great God, this morning we come into your presence believing that we're your people because Christ has saved us, believing that we're your people because we are in Christ and believing that, that in Christ you hear our prayers, you're eager to answer them, you want us to know you, you want us to follow you, you want us to be like him. So with Christ and his power before us, we pray this morning that you, by your spirit, would help us to receive and hear and understand your word. We pray you would give us receptive hearts to hear what is being said to us by Jesus in this parable. We pray you would convict and draw and compel us to Christ and to follow him. Lord, we know these great things require your power, your spirit, your work. So we ask, Father, would you please work in these ways? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends, it's great to be with you again this morning. If you haven't done so already, take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 22, where Kayla just read for us. And um, we are in our second week in this passage, which is not something that that I like to do because now I'm going to have to spend a few minutes doing refresher. But more than that, it it forces me to to reckon with the fact that a mere seven days later, most of you don't remember what I said last week. Anyway, so there's that pedagogical point that we deliberate through. So this is our second week in this parable. I don't want to split the parable up. That's why we had Kayla read the whole thing. But particularly this morning, we're looking at verses 11 through 14, where last week we spent the majority of our time in verses 1 through 10. So here's what's happening in this parable. Jesus has given a series of teachings, a series of parables that are challenging the religious leaders of Israel. And in, in the very like focused point of the challenge is the question, who are the people of God? Who are the true people of the kingdom? And for Israel, the default answer would have been us, of course. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're our fathers. We descended from them. We're the true people of God because we are the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To get into the words of what's coming in verse 14, who are God's chosen ones? The assumed answer of the day was us, Israel, The children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And what Jesus is doing in this parable is he is blowing that paradigm up. And and you might say he's blowing it out and he's blowing it up. Because what he does is he says, actually, many of the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will not inherit the kingdom because they've rejected their Messiah. So the kingdom will be made up of all types of people. The assumed acceptable and the assumed unacceptable. That's the blow out. And then the blow up is, but God will make all the people, all the types of people acceptable in his sight. He will not lower his ethical, moral expectations one iota. It won't happen. Not at all. So that's what we're going to see in this passage. And if you were drug here this morning and you don't really care to listen to me preach, I just gave it all to you right there. Okay, that was all of it. Now let's see if we can dive into it together. So the first point, the unexpected guest. And what I want to do here is I want to summarize uh, the first 10 verses relatively quickly. So if this summary makes you go, oh, explain that a little more. Oh, I need, like, there's a sermon online that spends a good portion just walking through these 10 verses. So this parable is about the kingdom of God. And you don't need a Bible degree to figure that out. You don't need a super spiritual person to figure that out because Jesus tells us in verse um, 2, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast. So the whole parable is intended to teach about the kingdom. Now, what's going on in the parable? There's a king, and there's a, the king has a son, and the king's son is getting married. And so, like Anyone throwing a wedding, they send out invitations. Um, Unlike our current weddings, they don't have firm start times affixed to them. You know, it didn't say August 21st at 6 p.m. So then the king, as the, the wedding gets closer, sends out and says, it's time for the wedding, come. And what happens is... All those who were the expected guests of the king were disinterested in the wedding of his son. It was some really big stuff. Like, well, I need to go out to the farm and make sure everything's okay. Can't come to the feast. Well, It's been a really busy week. I need to do a little work. I'm sorry. I can't come to the feast. And some of them were even put off that the king would send a messenger to remind them of the feast. So they killed the messengers. I don't know the etymology of the cliche, don't shoot the messenger, but this is one of those moments. So rightfully, the king was angry. The king destroyed those who killed his messengers and burned their city. 
So the king is still, the king still has a son. The king's son is still getting married. The king's son is still having a wedding feast. And the king's wedding, the king's son's wedding feast will be filled with guests who celebrate the wedding of the son and find it a joyful honor to be at the wedding feast. And the way the king does this is in a very culturally unexpected way. He sends his servants out and he invites everyone they find. Go to the main roads, go to the wedding feast, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. So the servants go out and they gather, we're told in verse 10, the bad and the good, and the wedding hall is filled with guests. He gathers the bad and the good, and we're told the wedding hall is filled with guests. So if we stop right there, this is a story that Jesus tells multiple times in his life and his ministry. And, and it would make a, a beautiful revival sermon. The Lord calls all types of people to himself and to his feast. Come to Jesus and be welcomed. Come to Jesus and be filled. Come to the feast of the king and his son. Come. That's good and right and true. The the gathering of the wedding feast story ends with a filled wedding hall, celebrating the son, celebrating his wedding, in all that the king would have them, and we're told they're made up of the good and the bad. And the way to read bad and good, good and bad here, is expected and unexpected. Most likely the way to read that would be Jew and Gentile. It would be those who would have been expected to come and those who they're like, there's no way the king would ever have them at his feast. So what's going on in this is Jesus is challenging the assumption of the day that Messiah only came to make Israel experience the blessings of the Messiah. Messiah certainly came to fulfill all the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Messiah certainly came to fulfill all the promises given to the fathers. Messiah certainly came to redeem the true Israel, but the kingdom of heaven is not just for those that expected to be invited. It will be for all nations, languages, tribes, and tongues. So Jesus is a challenging the assumption of who will fill the kingdom. He is broadening very widely the types of people who are members of the kingdom of God. And that says to us, don't be so short-sighted. Don't be so short-sighted. I mean, one of the fun things about denominations here in the South is we love to cast everybody else into hell, right? Like, we are blank. I can't even say this to Redeemer because we're such a smorgasbord. But in general, we are blank denomination. And if you're not of us, then you're on the outs, right? Like, that's how Southerners love to do church. 
And so what we're insinuating when we say those kind of things is you have to be blank to belong to Jesus. And that's just dumb, isn't it? But the reason we can say that's just dumb is because that's kind of what was playing out here. If you're not a physical descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you haven't become a physical Jew through circumcision and conversion, then you're not people of God. And Jesus is just blowing that paradigm up. Not only is he blowing that paradigm up, but he says, some of you physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are enemies of God. In your rejection of his prophets, in your rejection of his messengers, in your rejection of his saving son, you are actually enemies of God. And I'll just tip my hand to a couple chapters forward. I think when Jesus says, and burned their city in verse 7, that's not merely metaphorical. I think he's referring to what's coming. When Jerusalem will be destroyed. The center of the kingdom is Jesus. And it always will be Jesus. Now here I am re-preaching last week's sermon. I mean, that's good stuff. So wherever you are spiritually today, bad, good, somewhere in between, broken, joyful, somewhere in between, feeling really far from God, really close to God, somewhere in between, the key is Christ. The key is Jesus the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior. And how we respond to him is everything about us. So I would plead with you today to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Now, as we transition forward, Let's put on an angry, skeptical, first century Pharisee hat for a minute. Can we do that? We're going to play, what if you were an angry, skeptical, first century Pharisee? Some of us aren't that by nature, but I'll leave that point aside. Um, Here's how we would respond to this parable thus far. Oh! So you're saying the law doesn't matter. Oh, so you're saying adherence to the teaching of Moses, not important anymore. Oh, so you're saying God's just going to accept everybody from all the stripes, good and bad, and and there are no ethical standards anymore. No, I see what you're doing. No, 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 no. The next part of this parable, verses 11 through 13, excuse me, 14, are intended to answer that critique. God is not removing his standards of his people. He is not lowering what he expects of his people who follow him in his kingdom. Rather, he's redefining what it looks like to meet those standards. We meet those standards through the Messiah. 
We meet those standards through the Son. But everyone who is bad, who is far off, who is invited to the feast, Jesus will make acceptable and he will change who they are and they will walk in his ways and their lives will look more lawful as they worship and follow Jesus. That's where this is very obscure little bit is going. So the second point is the expected response. Now, I'll call it the expected response because this is what would have been expected before the parable. You need to be a follower of Yahweh to come to the banquet. You need to be prepared to meet God face to face to come to the banquet. What's revolutionary here is that there's all types of people who can be made ready to meet the king at the banquet. Does that distinction make sense here? So so Jesus is saying the standards aren't being lowered. It's just the types of people that are being raised up to meet what God desires is being broadened. So look at it. It's a very awkward few verses. So the king now, verse 11, comes to his very full wedding feast. And he sees one man who had no wedding garment. He's one man who had no wedding garment. And so the king goes to the one man without the wedding garment and says, friend, how did you get in here without? A wedding garment. And the passage tells us the man was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, I just wish Jesus gave us a little more here. Anybody else wish Jesus gave us a little more? There's so many ways to read this. Excuse me, sir, how did you get here without a garment? Well, you invited me five minutes ago, and I just came on in. Well, I saw a crowd. It looked like fun. I just wanted to be at the party, so I came on in. The fact that Jesus is making this about a singular person leads us to interpret it this way. Everyone else received both a late invitation and has a wedding garment. It leads us to interpret the passage that way. That everyone else received both a late invitation and has a wedding garment. So we're looking at one person who doesn't have a wedding garment. So we have to wrestle with how do we interpret this? Now, parents, I don't want to make your conversations with your kids on Sunday mornings any harder than they already are, but but this parable has nothing to do with what your kids should wear to church, okay? Kids, 
this parable has nothing to do with what you should wear to church. There are a whole bunch of other passages with a whole bunch of wisdom principles that would help you know what to wear and not wear to church, but this isn't it, okay? Everybody with me? Good. So there's, we have to wrestle with how do we interpret this passage? The most easy to explain interpretation comes from Augustine in the 400s. And I really wish Augustine was right because it would make this passage so easy to preach. Augustine said, oh, the king gave garments to everyone he invited. And this guy was just too obstinate to take the garment. He had too much confidence in his own presentation to take the garment. Now, all y'all can take that thread and pull it right to the gospel, right? Jesus is the garment. Jesus cleanses us. We need Jesus. If we think we're good enough in and of ourselves, we're foolish, and we will be like, man, that would preach. I just don't see any proof for that one. I really wish I did, okay? So now you're into preacher's psychosis. The other way to interpret it is this. Everyone else received a late invitation, went home, cleaned up in some way, and wore his or her best garments for the wedding. That's how we, that's the other way to interpret. Which means this man, for some reason, didn't go home, clean up, and wear his best garments for the wedding. In either scenario, the man should have been dressed differently because the king says so. In either scenario, the garments speak to a putting off of the filth of the world and a putting off our own natural filth and preparing for the banquet of the king. And what Jesus is saying here is there's still the expectation even in that last minute, that everyone who attends the wedding will take time to prepare to meet the king. They'll take time to prepare to meet the king. So what does this mean for us? It means that while the Lord might invite us as we are, that doesn't mean we are acceptable as we are. That while the Lord might set his love on us as we are, it doesn't mean he's overlooking as we are. It means he's forgiving what we are and making us what we are called to be. A full-hearted gospel presentation has verses 1 through 10 
Come, all y'all come. You need Jesus and he is good. Come. But when you come, he will call on you to set things aside and take up his ways. He will call on you to set aside your sin and your rebellion and take up following him. When you come, he will cleanse you of all the, the horrible things you've done, and he will make you acceptable. But come. So the, there's, a, there's a two-sided thing to the gospel. Who can come? All types of people come. But when we come, we need to know he's not celebrating what we are. He's celebrating what he will make us to be, which means we'll be setting some things aside. Friends, this is the rhetoric of the day. I don't know how much you engage on social media or hang out with young people, but this is the rhetoric of the day. The rhetoric of the day is, accept me in totality as I am or you don't. gently that's not the gospel that is not the gospel of Jesus the gospel of Jesus is I see the totality of who you are and I've still set my love upon you and I've still called you to myself and I will change who you are When I talk to young folks who are just like, well, I just can't accept this truth or this truth. I can't accept this ethical reality or this ethical reality. I can't believe that God wouldn't want me to have this or have that. Okay. But I just give you Jesus himself. Like this isn't a book written by a pastor trying to save the ethos of his church. This is Jesus teaching about the kingdom. The symbolism of the garment matters. And Jesus is saying so. So friends, we who have come to Jesus... What have we had to set aside, take off, and put away so that we can put on Christ, put on the words of Christ, put on the teaching of Christ, and walk in his ways? Those of you who might be with us today exploring Christianity, this is what I want you to hear. Christ is going to call you to change who you are, and it is good. It is worth it. Come to him and consider him. Now, Jesus ends this passage with a summary statement. Verse 14, it begins with the word for. For many are called, but few are chosen. And now everybody in the room has their, the hair on the back of their neck standing up. Either like this. Yeah, man, we finally are going to talk about these things. I knew I loved this church. <laughs> or the hair standing up going, nope, I don't do that chosen stuff. Don't do it. 
Well, here's some warnings for us. Number one, don't rush too quickly to Romans chapter 8. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. If you do, hear this. The terms called and chosen are not being used exactly the same way here as Paul uses them in Romans chapter 8. And I believe what Jesus says is completely compatible with what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, but we're not preaching Romans 8 today. We're preaching Matthew 22. Second warning. Don't put your fingers in your ears and say, I don't want to hear this chosen stuff. Friends, this is Jesus talking. And if our faith can't be reshaped where appropriate by the words of Jesus, we have problems. We have problems. So the best way to interpret what Jesus is saying here, called, as used in verse 14, parallels to the invitation to the banquet. And chosen parallels to those who are at the banquet with appropriate garments. It's the only way to read the parable here. It just, it's the only way it fits. Called pairs with all those bad and good invited to the banquet. And chosen pairs with those who are at the banquet and are dressed in an appropriate garment. Here's the best way to boil all this down. There's a theme that runs from Genesis to Revelation that none of us come to God in and of ourselves. Yet, when we respond to the invitation and we are made holy, we are responding because God is drawing. We are responding because God is at work. And so those two things work in tandem. Jesus, I mean, Jesus, the king sent people out to say, come to the banquet. And joyfully, they went to the banquet. And then Jesus is saying, one of the reasons... One of the foundational reasons you came to the banquet is because God drew you to the banquet. Those two things work together. They work in tandem. And that's why we can freely say, come, and we can pray, Lord, save, because they work in tandem. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying here is getting to the door of the banquet is not the object. Being acceptable in the sight of God. And to be acceptable in the sight of God requires the work of God. It requires faith in the Son of God. And it requires a willingness to lay aside all our old garments to walk with the Son. So friends, our application today is this. Some of us need to commit our way to the Son. How do I know if God's drawing me? Are you interested in the sun? He's drawing you. Are you here today? It's not an accident. He's drawing you. Respond to the sun in faith. And all the rest of us need to wrestle with the question. I believe in the sun. What of my old, unclean outer self and inner self am I unwilling to lay aside to take up Christ? And friends, we get to ask this question for every moment of the rest of our days. Hey, 
exclamation point. If you think you're done setting stuff off to take up Christ, the Lord probably has a big wake-up call coming for you soon. You know, most of you parents are like this. I can just get kids out of my house. Smooth sailing. Nope. Then it's just you, your spouse, and y'all sin with nobody to interrupt you. Good luck. Guys, Christ is good. He is worth following. Let's go with him. Our Father and our God. We pray now. We pray now that you would work in your people for faith, for obedience, for love, for worship, for joy. We pray you would work in us. Help us, O oh God. Help us, we pray. In the name of Christ, your Son.